0: Welcome. My name is Tom Wallace, and I'm one of the partners here at Florida Funders. And welcome to another edition of our Florida Funders podcast. So one of the things we like to do at Florida Funders is learn. We're kind of uh, obsessed with that. And one of the fun things about being both an investor and an entrepreneur is you're always learning. There's always something new to learn, somebody new to learn from. And I'm very excited about our guest here, who I will be introducing very shortly shortly. But for those of you who are new to Florida funders and aren't familiar with us, we're a cross between a crowdfunding platform and a venture capital fund, or now Funds, and we're focused on really finding funding and helping build the next generation of Florida technology companies and beyond. Our past guests on the podcast have included Alex Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, Peter Maluth, the number one financial advisor in in the country, according to CNBC and Barron's, Chris Sullivan, the founder of Outback Steakhouse, Ryan Neese, former NFL player turned venture capitalist, Jeff Finnick, who owns our local hockey team and is a a pretty prolific investor, and Steve Raymond, the founder of Tech Data and also an investor. Today, we have an opportunity to learn from somebody who really covers both sides, somebody who has a great story to tell, a founder who has been an entrepreneur for decades, and somebody who's also an avid investor. But just a couple more things about Florida funders. We were named by PitchBook as the most active uh, VC in the uh, Southeast in 2019. And we're named by Business Insights as the most active tech investor in the state of Florida in 2019. We'd like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from sunshine state to startup state. So with that, Arnie, welcome. Arnie Bellini is our guest today. I've known Arnie for uh, Three decades, 30 years or so, so uh, showing our age a little bit here. But Arnie, uh, welcome. Thanks for coming in. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself to to our audience? Yeah,
1: um, I'm Arnie Bellini. I founded ConnectWise, a local tech company. We sold the company to a Silicon Valley private investment firm about two years ago, and it was the first billion-plus sale of a tech company in the Tampa Bay area. But I think the thing that we were most excited about Was that we created seventy plus millionaires? Yeah, that's fantastic. And so, and and a lot of those people are still with the company, but a lot of them have gone off and kind of done their own thing, and and they're in the startup world. So, pretty exciting. It's it's what we wanted to do because I've studied Silicon Valley, and it's I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley, and it's such this you know quasar you know shining thing out there and. The way it started, though, was very simple. It was with, you know, Fairchild Semiconductor. Mm-hmm. And that one company from that spun off Intel, spun off, spun off, Hewlett Packard spun off. And so it's just, you know, you have to have that seedbed. And one of the things that I think is exciting about Tampa Bay and one of the things that we wanted to do was to actually help create that seedbed. I think we've done a pretty good job of that, but I love what you are doing and Florida funders. And that's why we invest with you as well. Because we're all interested in trying to create that seed bed, And it's really starting to happen now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all about creating the tech ecosystem. And, and we'll get into that more. But I want to go back to your story. Like, how did you start your company? Your business partner is your brother. Right. And I, I think that's I, having a brother that I can't imagine being in business with. <laughs> we're killing kill each other for sure.
1: <laughs> um, I got to hear yeah. the dynamics. How did yeah, you guys no. get
0: Tell us from the beginning.
1: Well, I mean, we're a large Italian family, you fight, you get along, you know, it's, you do, you do both. Right. And so David and I, you're older than him, right? I am. Yes. And so David and I've always, we shared a bedroom as kids, you know, it was just, we were always close. We always found a way to get along and we always complimented each other in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so, and who could you trust more than your brother? Right. Right. At least in my case, that was the situation. And So it really did help us build a business very quickly because it wasn't just leaning on myself. I knew I could rely on
0: him. What's the age difference? Uh, Two and a half years. So when you guys started, did you ever envision that you would be building a company that you would sell for over a billion dollars? No. And you didn't start as a software company either. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: No, we started in the Tampa Bay area. We actually started, we had a funny startup story. Our startup story started literally on the 29th floor of Park Tower, which is... I believe it's it was the likes building. It's one of the largest buildings downtown. Anyway, in 73, it was the largest building in Florida. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, right? Our family moved here at in the same time frame. My father got a job, was working with IBM. He opened the branch office here in Tampa Bay. okay And so we were always a computer sort of family. Price Waterhouse, my first job out of college, was in that building. on the 29th floor. We convinced our partner to buy one of the first PCs in the Tampa Bay area, and we would just sit there all night playing with that thing. Uh You know, our day job was working on mainframes, you know, and we're standing in line with our tapes. (laughs) you know, and our JCL cards. And just, it's almost like the Seinfeld episode of the Super Nazi in a way, you know, it's like, you better have your ducks in a row when you get to that window. Otherwise your job's not going to run. If your job doesn't run, you don't don't have anything to do. And so Mm -hmm. for us to be able to put a diskette in a PC and have the, the whole machine under our total control was just magical for us. And so our night job was our nighttime training was like, how can we totally understand everything there is to to understand about a computer that we have total control
0: over daytime job was working on mainframes at Price Waterhouse as a consultant and so well, one of the things we talk about is you know there's these game changing technologies that come along like every decade or so. In my case, and it sounds like yours, the first one was really the personal computer, the microcomputer. If you think back on it, many of you our listeners probably weren't even alive back then or weren't in business back then. Up until that point, the only people that had access to computers were large corporations, universities. Mm-hmm. It took IBM dominated DEC equipment corporations coming like that. It took teams of people to program these. So you had to have all these geeks, took forever. And then the PC comes out right. in the late 70s, early 80s, and all of a sudden, Every small business can have a personal computer. Every home can have a computer. And mm-hmm. the software to use it is relatively easy. Right? You don't have to be a programmer. You don't have to be a key, It changed all of our lives.
1: It's it did. It did. And so I quit Waterhouse, And my father was so upset. He's a branch manager in town. He's saying, why did you quit? I said, because <laughs> you guys came out with the PC. And I it's going to change the world. He goes, no, 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 Arnie. He goes, you don't understand. That's it's for the hobbyists. That Apple company out of Cupertino, we had to put something out. You know, we had <laughs> to have something down at that low end. But where does sell many 5,000 of those globally oh, stay with Waterhouse. So, you know, that was our kind of split point there. Um, he did come back much, much later and said I was right. But it was really an interesting story for us. So. Yeah, that first PC is what just it infected us. It was like a virus, and we just couldn't get over it. It was like, no, we've got to be able to put this out there. And we started implementing accounting systems in small businesses all around Tampa Bay. And mm-hmm. Well, now, at first, they didn't work, right? I mean, at first, they were not. They weren't <laughs> networks. There was that. They were, yeah, there was that. They, were, they weren't networks. They were not works, right? And so we we're trying to make these networks these not works become networks. they trying to make them work, Corvus. You'll remember these, yeah, you know, Corvus and, and anyway, I don't want to go down memory lane, but I mean, yeah. nothing was standardized is the point, right? Nothing was standardized. And so, you know, Metcalf and his boys literally just put out the Ethernet standard and sort of made it open source. And that was really smart. So, you know, that standardization is what brought all of this
0: connectivity that we now have into reality. You're putting in accounting systems and small businesses. You sold, sold hardware too, right? Yeah, we sold, sold hardware, yeah. So back then I think we were called VARs. Resellers. I mean, now right? they're MSPs. You yeah. know, I well, them, I mean, we're still thing. doing the
1: same thing. We still have that same business up and running in town with our same client base doing the same things. Now it's changed over the years, right? Yeah. I mean, but you know, you just keep following the technology and you just keep helping small businesses get a, getting the most dollar and most profitability out of every one of their investments. In technology, and that's just the game that you play, which brings us to a lot of investment in security these days, right? So this business that we built was so successful that we said, ah, we got to find software to run this thing. And we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and there was really nothing that fit us. And so really, out of necessity, we said, we're going to have to program this thing. Well, I had been a programmer, so I started programming it. What year was this? This was like 19... 89. We started your, your business this. for quite we a you did. We yeah, well, we had to have a problem, right? We didn't have any problem, we were growing, and when we started to scale and really needed systems to try yeah. and scale, you know, either you're gonna hire a million people to scale or you're gonna do it smartly with good systems, right? And so we wanted to do it with good systems, and there weren't any. And so we had to create one for ourselves, and we never intended on selling it. Until a bunch of our buddies saw, you know, they came over and visited in the business, saw what we were doing. And they said, dude, you, you've got to give me a copy of that. Uh-huh. And we reluctantly started letting people use our software and we started charging them for support. One thing led to another and it just went like wildfire. But this is before
0: globally. the this
1: is before the cloud. It, and originally you were oh, selling yeah. you were selling everything on was on premise. premise We were selling certain you know, we were selling you know, server-based software to run your entire technology business. And so we wanted something that would only really really focused on technology businesses because you know we have Small little jobs that we have to do. We have big projects and we have a mixture of both. Right. And we have people that we've got to keep billable and well, they've got to put their time in so that we can charge our clients. And all of that is kind of a complex thing unless you have systems to do it. Right. And so yeah. we just we figured out all the proper algorithms for that. And we started basically building our best practices into the software. And that's what really sold it because once you were on our software package, you know, if you were in the technology business and implementing networks or helping out small to mid-sized businesses, they're called managed service providers today. Yeah. Managed service providers, you know. It became a worldwide phenomenon and we just started selling globally. So all of a sudden, it's like we went from we're never selling this to like we're selling it. Well, that's what I want to ask you about,
0: because that's a that's a big shift. I mean, I've watched this movie a lot over the years Mm -hmm. where a company is a services company, because that's basically what well, yes. you were. And then you became you became a, a software product company. It's very hard to do both those things well. When was the tipping point when you realized that hey, we're really more of a software company? That's the big opportunity here, not really being a service company and not right. being an MSG. Sure. Honestly, it was when we and you don't, I mean, you might
1: not remember this, but you were our actual first sale of software. I remember that. So when you were running Brain Buzz. And Dan Doyle was the CEO. Somehow Dan and I got a connection and, and he really challenged me to make the software what it needed to be to run BrainBuzz. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting exercise, but it was our first sale and it was a big sale and it was an important sale and it gave us the legitimacy that we needed and it gave us the confidence that we needed. And so I just wanted to connect the dots. I management. did
0: remember that. I was, yeah, I remember that. We were your first contact management system. Yeah.
1: You replaced us after a couple of
0: years. Um, I was gone then. I, I only spent about eighteen months in that business, but still, you're you know the software side. It's kind of like the the tails wagging the dog, right? I and mean, this is the smaller part of your business now. Yeah, sure. That's where brother comes in real handy, right?
1: So that's where David and I said. I told David, I said, David, look, you could run this, the value added reseller managed service practice. You could run this with your eyes closed. We we don't need to both run this. I want to try the software thing. Let me just see. We've got a lot of people interested in it. Let me see if I can make this thing work. And he laughed at me. He told me, you're crazy. You got to have like $5 million to start a software venture. And I said, you know, I don't know. I mean, let's just see what happens. And and one thing led to another really, but that's how we were, you know, my, I was able to totally focus. And then he totally focused on the, the legacy part of the business and still worked
0: out great. Yeah. Worked out really well. It did. All right, now along, I got to interject this. So I understand you're a swimmer. Yep. <laughs> and uh You swam the English Channel somewhere. Where did you find time to be building this software company? And I mean, yeah. I got to believe that I'm not a swimmer, but I got to believe it takes a lot of training, and a lot of hours. You put a lot run. of time on the golf
1: course. You're a good golfer, <laughs> yeah. so I
0: mean, it's a little different than swimming. If here. I
1: could get you to put as much time and swim in swimming with me, and I could show you exactly how to do it. As much as you do in golf, you would get across the channel as well. But it was kind of that thing. It was me saying, can I actually do it? Right? I mean, if I channel my efforts into this, can I actually do it? I was already a swimmer, but I wasn't a long distance swimmer by any means. And I always like to have, and this is great, I think, for founders. As a founder, you can be completely consumed and often are by your business. Sure. 100%. And so, The English Channel and other challenges that I put in front of myself, that was just one, but other challenges that I put in front of myself, literally annually, I would put a major physical challenge out there for myself to accomplish. And I had to accomplish it just like I had major goals with the business, right? So it helped me stay balanced. And I always thought an important part It's hard to stay balanced when you're a founder. You've got a company that's just growing like a weed. It's like you want to put everything you have into it because you're just watching it grow, watching it grow. You have to stay a little bit balanced. And so, you know, because typically founders are such A personalities, at least I know I was and am, I needed something to balance me out. So I I chose the channel because Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I could do it. I, I was afraid of doing it. And I said, well,
0: yeah. And this is the perfect reason to try to do it. And how long did it take you? To- <laughs> I'm slow. <laughs> not, I mean, like your I'm- time. I mean, not like it was. This oh, like okay, a, okay. Did you do it in a year? Like you said it in January 1, well, I'm no, going to do this. Sem- no, no, of- no, I'm
1: not that slow. It only took 17 hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not do it that way. But I mean, you decided January 1, that year. Yeah, it takes two years to train just swim the channel. Is what I was that. told. Now, I tried to do it in six months and they told me. Of course you did.
1: Uh, anybody knows
0: arnie would know he tried to do it i I thought why
1: not if i put my time in but they say you know well the main thing is and that's this interesting part the hardest part of the channel is actually the first of all it's 21 miles it swims like 30 but the main thing about the channel is that you need to get your body acclimated to cold water because the average temp is like 62 degrees and you're in a speedo no you're not wearing a wetsuit you're not allowed Oh, really? If you want the certification that you actually swam the channel, you're not allowed. And so I actually was trying to become the 50th person over 50 to swim the channel. Cause I saw it I was like, Oh, this girl did it. She's over 50. Oh, got 47. And it was oh literally gosh, that I'm season. It was like, it was ticking off 47, 48. I was like, I needed my day. I needed to get in the water anyway. I was hoping ESPN would call, you know, come on 30 over 30. Why not 50 <laughs> over 50? Maybe call you. Never called, but You know, so it was just a fun challenge for me, and I really did enjoy. I learned a lot, and I think you learn a lot about yourself when you face your fears—like really things you think you can't do—and then force yourself to break them down and and figure out how to do them.
0: Uh, And it doesn't. Well, that's very that's very impressive, and at the same time, your father, you. Two, three kids. Two two sons. Two sons. Yep. Uh, Lauren, my wife. And are they involved in the business?
1: Yeah, yeah. So Arnold and Peter and my wife, Lauren, are all involved in Bellini Capital as well as Bellini Better World. So, you know, we're investing in tech companies in the Tampa Bay area, and the whole family's involved in that. And we also are investing in the community in a lot of ways. And that's Bellini Better World. And so we are making investments in education. Making really big investments at USF because they helped us so much when we were you know, growing as a business. And so we're making. That's your own water out. too, correct? It is. Uh, we're University of Florida, uh, undergrad, University of South Florida for my MBA. Okay. And I thought it was such a great program. And so we're doing some really nice things there. And then our real passion is the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And so we were successful in getting the thank God and thank you uh, state of Florida legislators for seeing the wisdom of declaring 18 million acres of the state as the Florida Wildlife Corridor. We have the only wildlife corridor still in existence east of the Mississippi that is intact still today. And so this is. A I think mission. I've read about this
0: a little bit. About it. Is
1: this about the Florida panther and well, a lot of it's about the panther. Uh, a Florida panther is is interesting. It's come from twenty, we're up to two hundred now, and they're actually starting to move out from their Everglades range area back into their natural range area. And so it's really interesting to see. A panther has a four hundred mile range. So when new males are born, they're really not welcome in the male's 400-mile range, right? Yeah. And so they kind of get shoved they out. Of so it's interesting. I have seen Panther. How did
0: you get involved in this?
1: We found a panther. We had a panther in our backyard in Tampa was the very first thing that got me really interested. Yeah, we literally had a panther living in our backyard. It was one of the males that got pushed out Uh and somehow made his way into our backyard. We have about a hundred acre floodplain on a lake there. And so, yeah, that got us interested. But I think the real thing was also watching uh, the last green thread video on YouTube is about three explorers in Florida that took a trek from all the way from the Florida Keys, all the way up into Alabama, Georgia. Yeah, one of them's uh, the, the the photographer, which is Carlton Ward. Carlton Ward. So Carlton yes. Ward Jr. And so we're working real closely with Carlton Ward and Mallory's work. Mallory Likes Dimmitt was one of the others, and then Joe Guthrie was one of the others. So we have brought Joe Guthrie back from Georgia. He's doing bear work. He's doing large conover work with the Panther and Black Bear in Florida now. So we've got him on a grant coming back down here. Mallory's now the CEO of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Coalition. And Carlton's out there taking photographs and talking to senators. And we're taking it to the federal level as well. And so there's a lot of interest in creating a national corridor sort of concept. Wyoming has a corridor. And so Florida is actually working at the federal level to get recognized as a corridor. And we're trying to get some of those Biden bucks down here in Florida. You know, it's a great green infrastructure plan. Just having the corridors a really important part of a green infrastructure plan in the state of Florida, because 60 percent of that land is where we get all of our water from. And that is going to be the biggest constraint on the state of Florida going into the future is water. Where are we going to get it
0: for the 30 Uh, million
1: people that will be here within 10 years? Yeah,
0: that's interesting and exciting. I want to go back to your entrepreneurial journey for a second because you've done something that I think a lot of our founders want to do. You've built a software company into several hundred million dollars of revenue, exited for over a billion dollars. What advice, what lessons learned, best practices would you share with founders that you did it over a couple of decades, I think? you know, times have changed. It's a lot easier now to serve a software company with a cloud and you're not going to sure. buy all this hardware and, you know, there's a lot of advantages. What advice would you have for, for founders out there?
1: Well, the first thing I would say is what we talked about earlier is maintain balance because it's a long journey. And so you have to be balanced in that journey. And that means you can't lean on one foot or the other foot too much. And you literally need to be balanced in your approach in the business and also in your life.
0: So I don't know point. if I completely agree with that. When well, we're investing, a lot of times we like that our founders do nothing but work, but go ahead, keep going. A lot of them do nothing
1: <laughs> but work. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, and I mean proper balance. I mean, you know, there's a proper balance. Yeah. So, anyway, I think, well, I think you
0: run so intense, you can do several things. I think you're a little maybe superhuman in that way. Like a lot of our founders maybe don't have that intensity. So we'd like to see them really focused on their business, but go ahead.
1: Well, then, if you are being funded by Florida funders,
0: really focus on it.
1: But I think, no, but I think here's the natural thing founders naturally focus everything on it. We have to tell them sometimes to pull away because, like, if you put 14 hours into focusing on your business every day, That's not going to be a good 14 hours, okay? I'd rather see you give me a good 10 hours and take those other four hours and spend it with your family and get some exercise, right? So get your blood moving. So you're going to have a good, healthy brain for those 10 hours that you really need to be focused, you know, or 12, (laughs) sometimes 14.
0: (laughs) Seven days a week. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's important, right? I mean, you get well, the other a, thing. And is, the reason I say that, by the way, it's because the balance is important because, you know, I'm used to doing like Ironman events, right? Where if you're not balanced, you're going to fall over by the end of the event, right? And so you've got to be balanced. It's a long journey. The road to success is absolutely available, but it is a long journey. And if you're not balanced, you're not going to make it the whole way. Is yeah. my point. Okay. Yeah. Success no, does not happen overnight. And you know, so many people talk about oh, instant success. It's like that's every founder knows that's such a joke, right? There's yeah. no such thing. If you ask any of us when was the day that it all came together, the answer is, yeah, the last 20 years, you know, yeah. or the last 10 years. It's like so it's, it's a continuum and it's a it's a journey. And so it's a long journey. You gotta be you gotta be balanced to make the entire journey.
0: Yeah, I, I know one of the things that you know we always we're out talking to founders all the time. And one of the things we do not like to hear is, oh, I'm going to build this in three or four years, flip it, and then I'm going to do this. Like that is just not, not to you founders out yeah, there, don't ever, say that, ever don't don't say that to an
1: investor. None of us want to hear. Yeah. Well,
0: actually, the last guy that I know that did that well was Chad Hurley. He was the founder of YouTube. He sold it 18 months later for for like a billion, eight to, to Google, I actually spent some time with Chad. And we went to the same school, but that's an anomaly. And by the way, you could argue he sold too early, right? Well, yeah. I mean, what he sell work? for? He sold for a billion eight after eighteen months. But you know, what's the word today? I, yeah. He sold too early. Yeah. So, ahead. but anyway, yeah. It's I think balance is
1: an important thing, and I think I do think intensity is an important thing because, like, when you have a problem, a lot of people procrastinate and they kind of avoid it. You know, ah, maybe it'll go away. Ah. It's like what we always do is we attack the problem as soon as we can even get an idea of what it is and confront it, right? Whatever that might be. You know, it could be a security breach in our software. It could be whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Thank God that's not happening ConnectWise. We're one of the few. We're really lucky about that. But as a business, I think you have to attack the, your weakest point. You have to be focused on that. And that's not the funnest thing to do, getting up in the morning and thinking, where's my weakest point in my business? Yeah. And what am I doing about it today? But I think that's an important thing to face up to. And I think that's one of the reasons why English Channel, all these things, it's like very fearful things. It's like, well,
0: running a business and being a founder is a fearful thing. Sure. And you better get used to it. Only the paranoid survive, right? Isn't that what uh, Andy Grove said? And help? Okay. So you have this huge exit. You're doing a lot of great work in the community, a lot of philanthropy, your, your, your wildlife initiatives, but you're investing. Yes. And you're, you're an investor now. Absolutely. How's that going? And, and tell us a little bit about that. And what yeah. kind of investments and things are you looking for that excite you?
1: Yeah. So we're, we're looking for unique, sort of unique positions, companies that have unique positions or situations. And so one of them that we've invested in that we think is really interesting is Markson.
0: I just, Which is I, also a Florida funded portfolio company. That's great.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. And so, I think it's a fantastic technology. Yeah, and, uh, and Beck and his team have got a really great concept. I mean, you know, when you think about 3D, well, when you think about the world we're living in today, where if you wanted to buy furniture, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to go down to a rooms, you know, rooms to go and look at each one of them. And it's like, wouldn't it be easier if you could just do it online? But if it was a good and accurate, pleasurable experience actually just dragging and dropping chairs and sofas and pictures and little accessories into a room and going I like that and hitting a button and having it go to a shopping cart that's cool yeah and cool. so the fact is that they've done a really good job of really focusing on that user experience and that's where they're going to win big you know yeah. really
0: big well, fun? Find- I, I built a house about eight years ago, and you know these interior designers that come in with a splotch like this big and say, "Imagine this is you know your tile on the whole floor or your ceiling." I can never do it. So, Markson does a great job, and they're really focused on that whole home good space of enabling you to virtualize and visualize that through uh, augmented or actually, I guess it's more VR than augmented yeah, reality,
1: visual reality. Yeah. And so it's really cool too because they literally, have, because it's been so successful, it's now you see it spilling over to. Outside decks, it's now perfect for designing an outside deck. So Lowe's is picking it up, you know, and Lowe's picking it up. Well, Home Depot's got to pick it up. So yeah. it's just a great scenario. They're they're really on fire with a product that's unique and has many patents. And so that's a pretty pretty cool product. I yeah, think. yeah. That's so very cool things company. like that. Okay, great.
0: Here in Saint Petersburg. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's very cool. NAC is another really
1: cool company for very different reasons. It's uh, I think it's very NAC is. Virtual tutoring to college students by college students. Mm -hmm. So it's a peer-to-peer sort of tutoring. And it's an interesting company, interesting founders, but I think a very needed sort of technology for today. And University of Florida has picked it up. So has University of South Florida. And it has made an appreciable difference. So we're actually getting KPIs to see like, how much is it moving the needle on GPIs? What we're finding is that students who are struggling and maybe have, and usually those are the students that have to work a job and they're struggling. Mm-hmm. This is a great product for them because it actually helps these people who might get D's, get C's and B's and still stay employed, get over the hurdle, get a college degree, and move on to bigger and better things and opportunities. And so I think that's
0: a really great product for that reason.
1: Yeah.
0: As you look out there and across all these technologies that are coming on, we, use, we mentioned augmented virtual reality, artificial intelligence, five Gs coming up, autonomous vehicles, cyber security. You have an extensive background on that. What excites you the most out there about what's coming on mainstream here in the next few years, coming coming five, 10 years? Yeah, I think I think you know I think
1: the answer is all of what you said because the fact that it all can now be integrated, right? I mean, think about the network effect of one piece of information connected to a second piece of information. Well, that's useful. A third piece, a fourth piece, because once you start connecting that many things, all of these things will be connected to the Internet. So imagine artificial intelligence coming through data, just volumes of data from 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 sensors and and switches and gauges that are feeding everything into it. You know, say from an oil refinery system or from an oil pipeline, you know, None of that stuff is going to be an unknown issue anymore. They're going to know what's happening inside of a power plant, inside of a refinery, along a pipeline of any sorts. And so those kinds of information is going to give us a lot more control over networks that constantly are going haywire. So I think that's one of the things that's exciting. But the fact that when you start putting all of this that information in internet of things, I didn't even <laughs>
0: mention that.
1: Yeah, well, when you put all of this together, that's what's going to be really cool. But then the real beauty of where we've come from is we've, We've digitized everything. So like all the knowledge of the not all of it, but most of it, we've digitized most of the knowledge of the world. Well, now you can actually go comb through that. Now we're adding all the data and sensor from real-time events into the same place. So it's kind of the infinite possibilities of what you can do with, say, artificial intelligence and or other technologies that are now on the fray With all of that data, but there's going to be some constraints. And one of the constraints is, well, we've got all the data now and we're getting more and more of it, but we've got to secure it until we can secure it. We don't get to really move this equation much further forward because the stuff that we're now getting ready to do with data is so important, so sensitive and so secure that if we can't secure that, we really can't with good conscience, Computed and create algorithms on it. And that's where the real line comes on artificial intelligence, because that's a national decision, nation by nation. So is every nation going to have the same set of
0: ethics? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think Putin's going to have the same, same ones that we do. But yeah. Now the security thing is going to blame everything, right? I mean, it, you have all this data, you have all this stuff, and if you can't secure it, not only is it an ethical decision, it's also a financial one. I mean, it's, every company's facing that, right? Yeah, and everyone has to. And I think really the big and what, what is the real constraint
1: on security? To me, it's the cost of security. The cost to secure your, your your network, your data, it's too expensive. I mean, unless some people can come up with open source solutions and start crushing the price of security. We're going to be in a world of hurt. Someone's got to come up with with a very affordable security solution, and I think it really requires a you know security orchestration and automated response system, a SOAR, and I think it requires an open source one that everybody then integrates to because we didn't get anywhere with the internet honestly until Ethernet became the standard. Okay, mm-hmm. we didn't. Okay, and it's going to require the same thing in security before we ever make any advances individual companies will make a lot of money. And I know all you cybersecurity guys are making a ton of money out there and cashing out for big money. But the reality is, is the problem is everything is too expensive. So I think the real place in the future of what I'm looking for for investment is like, who's got that clever idea on how to really crush the price of delivering high-level security?
0: Arnie, this has been great. What a great story you have. I, I guess the one, one question I do like to ask is as a final one, and, and then I'll wrap up here is, if you were starting a company today, what would, you, what, would, what would it be? Oh, my God. It would be an ice cream stand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Now, it might be a, a, that a one, one that turns into 50,000 ice cream stands. You know, an ice cream all over the world. <laughs> You're
1: sticking with that? I'm or I'm sticking whatever? with the ice cream stand. Okay. That is the
0: truth. Well, Arnie, this has been great. Thank you so much to our listeners out there. If anybody wants to reach out to your firm, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, my email is
1: arnie at arnie.com.
0: Okay. Pretty nice. easy. So thank you. This is Tom Wallace. Again, Florida Funders, if you want to know more about us or find out more about us, go to floridafunders.com. If you're a founder, you can go out. We have a very simple five-minute application process to get you into our process to, to be looked at and considered for funding. And if you're an investor, we have a wonderful portal with tons of information about how to invest, how to angel invest, and how to do it wisely. So thank you for joining us, and uh, all the best.